Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey there, friends. Welcome to episode 33. I hope you're all having a good week, a good start to the school year, or whatever your fall schedule holds, maybe even some cooler weather where you are. We know it's a busy time of year, and we're so thankful you've chosen to take us along in your ears today. In the spirit of fall and new backpacks full of school supplies, we are talking teaching today on the podcast. I'm excited to share a conversation I had with Leanne Alexander, an associate editor with the UPCI who oversees curriculum development. We talked about her book, Teaching to Transform Hearts, as well as the new God's Word for Life curriculum now available from the Pentecostal Publishing House. Sister Leanne travels the country providing teaching seminars for churches, and I know this episode is going to be a great encouragement to teachers of all grade levels and ages. I enjoyed chatting with her so much. And the icing on top of the cake was her answer to our standard final question, the good question she's asking herself lately. We could have talked for another hour at least about her question, so make sure you stick around till the end. Okay, here we go. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Leanne Alexander. Leanne Alexander, welcome to Good Question. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to take part today. We are excited to have you on to talk about lots of different things. We have several topics we want to hit today. First, we just want to have you introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. Well, I grew up in Louisiana and uh, had just a wonderful church family, wonderful family, a younger brother, and he and his wife, Jessica, now minister in Florida, active in a church there. And uh, growing up, just exciting times in good Louisiana with all those stories that you can imagine, all of the bayou country and all of that, <laughs> just a very colorful childhood. Uh, we just had so much fun and just were part of such a wonderful church there. So I had this this great church and and family background. And then I went to LSU uh, out of high school and did a double major in English and history. Then went to a neighboring university and uh, earned my master's in literature there. And at that point, I really wanted to teach, but I had done so much of school there all together. I decided it would probably be helpful to kind of get into the real world, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. I uh, worked for a software company for about three years And as I did that, I was kind of working as their communications director. So I would help on the front end with sales presentations and then help on the back end with our, the training of our clients and that kind of thing. And, um, it was, it was excellent experience. I can look back now and see how much, how I use so much of that. But I just really began to pray and say, God, I, I, I know there's got to be more to life than just this. I feel like there's more. And I just went through a season of, of seeking the Lord and, um, I was contacted by Gateway College of Evangelism here in St. Louis, and they asked me to come up. They were in the accreditation journey and wanted to bring on an English professor and start a writing center. And so I moved to St. Louis in 2006, and it was just such an incredible time being part of Gateway. And then as it transitioned to Urshan College, 
I moved over to headquarters and began working with PPH. And so at this point, I'm an associate editor and I coordinate our curriculum team at PPH. And it's it's just been such a wonderful journey and a lot of fun things all along the way. So you are a writer at heart. We were talking about this a little bit a minute ago. And I also love to write and love the the ability to um, take thoughts and put them into words and share them with people. And they get to have kind of a life of their own outside of me. And so you have written a book called Teaching to Transform Hearts. I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that book and kind of the inspiration behind why you decided to write that. You know, teaching is so important in our churches. I believe we pass on our faith a lot through teaching. Of course, we understand the biblical importance of preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Uh, And that, as it should, gets so much of our attention and our focus, and it should. But we we don't talk enough, I think, in the church about the value of teaching and then providing resources for teachers to hone their skills. Mm -hmm. So as you may, you know, have experience, we'll have in any given church, we may have teachers who by profession have been formally educated in the field of education. And so they come to maybe a Sunday school class or something like that with this professional level of education, and, and that's wonderful. Then we have people who who just have a heart for maybe children or youth or adults even, and they'll they'll just say, I want to help out. Maybe they have a child who's in, you know, they're in the primary class or something, so they want to get involved, and that's wonderful. And then we'll have very dear people who just pastor said, we really need help on Wednesday nights in kids' church. And so they say, well, you know, I can help. So there's just this spectrum of these wonderful, I just call them heroes, these dedicated volunteers that it's not always a flashy ministry. It's just people that show up on Sundays or Wednesdays or to a weekend small group. And they dedicate themselves to helping others learn more about God and His Word. And I just have the highest respect for these individuals. And I grew up in a family where, where teaching and education was very important and celebrated. And so as we would work in the curriculum area, so so much of that was about equipping teachers. So it just kind of naturally came up. We need more resources that help teachers grow in their craft in our churches. And so there were a couple of different people that I I say in the preface to the book, they really are the experts here who should be writing this. I don't think of myself as the expert, but we just really needed a resource. So after really working closely with a lot of those people who I do think of as experts, I put together this book, Teaching to Transform Hearts. And it's, it's really, I think, a celebration of what it means to teach in the church and then some practical helps to just uh, really aid those who, who want to perfect that, that craft of, of teaching God's Word to others. I really love that because, like you said, I have been, you know, (laughs) the volunteer teacher. Uh, I think I started teaching Sunday school when I was maybe 14 or 15, working with, you know, the little primary class. And yeah, it's a skill set that I think is probably undervalued. I mean, obviously, (laughs) we could have that conversation on like a a government and like pay scale level for teachers across the country definitely undervalued. (laughs) My mom and my sister are both uh, teachers and I can tell you the amount of work that they put in for their daily classes is astronomical. Right. But it's definitely something that 
there were times as a, as a young person and then even getting growing older and, and finding more of where I felt like I fit best in the work of the church, that teaching is so valuable and so vital. And especially when we're talking about the younger kids, a lot of times right. it's like it, it becomes a childcare situation instead of an actual educational mm-hmm. situation. Not that that's what we intend for it to be or even what anybody right. in those rooms is intending for it to be, but sometimes it's looked at that way. And so I think it's really good to have, like you said, a resource for people who are in that position, because I agree with you that teaching is the way we pass on our faith. Uh, We had Sister Pebble Wisdom on the podcast recently, and she has a conference for young ladies here in Oklahoma. And she talked about how whenever she has speakers come in for that conference, she makes a, a point of explaining to them that what she's looking for is instruction and teaching and right. deep biblical knowledge for girls. Because, you know, as she said, we are wealthy in our preaching resources and we all have experiences, wonderful experiences, needful experiences with powerful anointed preaching. But teaching is where we get into the heart of actually learning what we're doing and why we're doing it. And once you have that, it's not something that can be taken away quite as easily. Absolutely right. Very true. So if there's one thing from the book that you'd love for people to take away, what would that be? Well, I kind of edged that in the title, this idea of teaching to transform the hearts. So by default, when we teach, there's there's that cognitive exchange, right? And so mm-hmm. we, we know we're going to take this amount of information, whatever my lesson is or whatever you want to call it, we're going to transform that. So obviously we want to do what we can to make sure We've done that process as effectively as we can. And there are all kinds of great techniques there from, again, like a professional side of teaching. But I, I really in the book talk about that I believe obviously in the church, there's this spiritual component to teaching. It is this transfer of faith process. And so there's got to also be a heart element there. And so I challenge us in the book to think about not just ways that we can teach more effectively, although that's important because the more we can engage people, obviously the better. Uh, but I, I really push on this idea of, of what can we do to, to really engage people people's affections and and Mm. teach in ways that really get at the heart and encourage people to love God and His Word and and develop that that quest. And I don't know that there's any one specific secret to that, but I I think it is that, it is just that approach that maybe I'm calling for us to rethink that approach and say, every lesson should incorporate a time of prayer and seeking the Lord. Every lesson should should have at its onset some kind of way that we're saying, okay, what? how does this get at our hearts? How does this help us in, in growing this love for God? As well as this, of course, this knowledge of God's word, which we want, but, but this heart component. I share the story at the very beginning of the book that when I was at LSU, I had really this, you know, a lot of people go to college and they have this crisis of faith. I was already there and I'm actually in a zoology class and the professor is just going off on Christians and how ridiculous creationism is and all this kind of stuff. And I just have this crossroads moment and say, okay, either all this stuff I've been taught since my childhood is right or this guy is. And I really think that was a turning point for my life because I chose to believe 
I've been taught this, I've experienced this, and I know that's right. Even though right now I don't have the facts to argue with this guy, I know what I've experienced is real and it's right. So I guess I'm encouraging an experiential nature to our teaching to help people. Uh, there's this bedrock on God's word we can stand, but it's not just because we know it so cognitively, but also this that we've experienced this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking back even to... Outside of, you know, church and and Sunday school, the teachers and the lessons that I have learned most effectively have been from teachers that I feel like I've connected with and have had had that kind of relational and experiential component into their classes. So, you know, there are college professors that I couldn't tell you their names. I took the class. Mm -hmm. I did the work. Um, and I can remember bits and pieces of it, but I couldn't tell you their name. I couldn't, you know, I don't know anything about them. And then there are other sure. teachers that made it a strong impact on my life and on my education and then on my career. There, there are things I use in my work every day that I think I learned this from, you know, right. I learned this from Jamie. I yeah. learned this from from Meyer. These, are, these were um, impactful professors in my life. And it was because of both that experience of being in their classrooms and then also the relationship component that comes into right. play when it when you're in a teaching environment. We talked a little bit about this on the podcast last week um, about relationships. What kind of encouragement would you give for teachers? Because, you know, when we're talking about specifically Sunday school classes or, you know, kids' church or those sorts of things, the time that we have is so limited as a teacher. Right. You know, a school teacher sees our kids for hours and hours every week. Whereas a Sunday school teacher, your, your time with those with kids or students of any age is very limited. So can you talk about kind of cultivating that experience and relationship in a classroom? Absolutely. It's so true that, uh, you know, we are going to church less. That's, that's just a reality mm. of 21st century life. And so using our time wisely as teachers is so important. So just there's some intentionality in the way we plan and prepare. And I think that's important. But but your larger question is so important. How do we seek to develop these key relationships? And I think one thing is just an encouragement. So, so there's kind of an inspirational side and a practical side. I think on the inspirational side, it's being encouraged that what you do matters. And then recognizing that we unfortunately don't get to see those immediate results. Mm. But even when we can't see it, it's kind of like that song. Even when we can't <laughs> see it, he's working it. That mm-hmm. really applies in a teaching environment because you may be teaching students that it you absolutely see nothing happening. And you're thinking, we're just doing this again today. And yet there are all these great stories that I get to hear as I travel from individuals who a Sunday school teacher made this huge impact, you know, and it's years later that then they are doing these exploits for the kingdom and all this great stuff. And they can point back to these incredible moments, you know, as children, as youth. And so there's just an encouragement factor there to say that hang in there, even if you don't see these great, amazing results, just be encouraged that when you're you're planning the Word of God, again, I believe it's a spiritual act. I believe that absolutely is not in vain, that God's using that to minister to people in ways you can't see. And then just on the practical side, some of the most important things that we can do as teachers is just be intentional in connecting and caring. So mm-hmm. I do this one little thing as I, I do uh, travel and, and do some teacher workshops and that kind of thing. And one of the practical things I say is the most important 10 minutes of your class 
or the 10 minutes right before the the session starts. So if you have Sunday school at 10 o'clock, 9.50 to 10 o'clock, and, and of course it bleeds over because, you know, who really gets to start on time, right? But <laughs> those first 10 minutes are so important because when those students are walking in, that is your golden moment. If you can remember something they were dealing with last week and you can say, hey, Skylar, how was that math test you were worried about? That mm. is so enormous because I see teachers, and again, I'm kind of talking on the, the kids level with some of this, but I see these teachers who feel so much pressure to entertain, to perform. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't want this to sound defeatist. I'm not going to out Disney Disney. No. <laughs> That's not where I'm even trying. But what I can do that Disney and YouTube and everything else can't do is I can care and I can mm. connect personally and that's real. And so, again, when that student walks in and say, hey, I know you were at your dad's last week. How'd that go? Everything okay? That's the kind of stuff that our kids, our youth, our everybody, our adults, my goodness, to have people that care enough to remember what's going on in your life and talk to you. So just on the practical side, I say at the beginning and the end of class, don't be scrambling around saying, oh my goodness, I don't think I've made the copies for the worksheet or whatever. That's, that's, we're done now. It is what it is. And we're going to get in there and we're going to focus on how do I talk to people and make those one-on-one connections so they know I'm keeping up with what's going on in their lives because they're important to me and I really care. Yeah. I think that's so important. And again, it's on every level. Like I said, we mm-hmm. talked last week with um, Josh Krebs about relationships and we, we focused on, you know, on adults, but this applies yeah. across the board. I mean, I can tell you, I have a six-year-old right. and they notice and they remember so much more than we give them credit for. And just as an encouragement to Sunday school teachers out there, they're listening and they're thinking about it. I mean, we'll be driving down the road and out of the blue, she'll just ask a question or, or say something. And, you know, and I think I say, well, where, why are, you know, where did that come from? Oh, you know, in Sunday school, we talked about this or on Wednesday, we talked about this. And so it can feel in the moment. I know as a teacher, there's so much that goes into it and there's, in the moment, it can feel chaotic and it can feel like you didn't get across what you were trying to get across or the video didn't work right or whatever didn't happen sure. right. But I think you're you're so right that the relationship component, if those students, no, no matter what age, if they feel loved, if they feel like they matter to you, then the rest of that stuff is not important. It's really not. Right. Absolutely right. Well, I love talking about this. So <laughs> I, I think that this is <laughs> so too. encouraging for people because there are so many people that are, like you said, churches that need help. And I think there are lots of people right. who feel inadequate and feel afraid to step into these roles. Maybe they feel like they don't have enough experience or they haven't um, studied the Bible enough or studied anything enough. Can you give some encouragement for someone who maybe is on the fence? They know that there's a need in their church for teachers, but they're not sure if they should take that leap. I want to encourage anybody who's maybe feeling burnout because you're already teaching, or maybe like Jessica's just mentioned, you're in a situation where you want to get involved, but you're not sure that's for you and all of that stuff. Oh, just do it. Be encouraged to hang in there and give it a try if it's something you've not tried because it's so important to invest in other people. And that's what teaching is. And I just, I always say when you get, someone who is wanting to know God and you get someone who is going to share information about God and you get God's word in there, just the mix of that. Every class is not going to be perfect. Of course, the unexpected is going to happen. You're going to have moments that you feel like that was a disaster, but just just keep at it. There's not really 
a picture of what perfect looks like when it comes to teaching. It's just a matter of taking the people who've been entrusted in your care and taking them to whatever is their next step. And we do that like we've talked about with relationships and just being transparent and showing them our hunger to know God and his word. And everybody can do that. All of us can be investing in someone. It's just with teaching, we're making that very consistent commitment to say, I always want to do that, but I'm I'm really going to do that on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever it is when you serve. So be encouraged. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to care and you just have to commit to, I'm going to help this group however I can take their next step and getting closer to God and know more about Him and His Word. And and you absolutely can do that. There are resources that help. And and so I want to encourage everybody to to take part. And yes, I lend my voice to that same encouragement. There's so much work that needs to be done and the Lord has empowered us to do it. So I think we can rest in that, that we don't have to have all the answers. We just got to love people, love our students, and that's going to make the biggest difference. Right. So you are an associate editor for the United Pentecostal Church. And I'm going to skip around here a little bit on what we had intended to to, um, talk about. But I would like to talk about the new curriculum. Um, So the Pentecostal Publishing House is rolling out new curriculum um, that you've been involved with the development for. And I've had some experience um, with Word of Flame curriculum. I know it's been a staple for a long time. And so I'm just curious to hear a little bit about this change that's happening. What caused you all to decide that you were going to retire the old curriculum and and move in a new direction? And and tell us a little bit about kind of where you're going. Absolutely. We celebrate so much this ministry of teaching. And as part of that, from PPH perspective, we celebrate this rich, rich legacy of Word of Flame curriculum and over 50 years of providing resources to churches. So it has just this beautiful history and just all the countless lives uh, across North America and even with some of our exchange program, so to speak, with Global Missions. It has been such a mainstay for the way people teach. And so we celebrate that. We did want to make some historic shifts in the way we provide materials. And we realized to do that, it would be so much changing the identity of of how people understood Word of Flame so much. It just really seemed appropriate to say, since we're making such radical changes, let's create a new brand and a new concept for people to um, to understand what we're, what we're doing with these shifts. And so we created this brand called God's Word for Life. And again, you can kind of hear in the title, the idea there, of course, it's going to study scripture, it's going to study God's word. But the emphasis here is on how do we apply this for life, for life changes, for lifelong living, Christian living, how should God's word impact the way we live every day? And the biggest change I would say is that for so long, we focus first on the teacher manual resources. Let's create resources that we can put in the hand of a Sunday school teacher who can then, whether it's 45 minutes or two hours or however long they have students, they can teach, they can say this information, they can lead in this activity. And so it was very teacher focused. And what we wanted to do with this new chapter is say, wait a second, what kind of resources can we create now for the people who are not the leader or teacher of the class, but how can we create resources for everyone? Now, again, with in the past, we've created maybe follow-along pieces for our adults and our youth and, you know, the activity papers for children. So we wanted to really reinvent that paradigm. And so now with God's Word for Life, 
when a church buys that solution, they are buying really this whole package that's designed to think about everybody. So one instance of a very new change for us is we have a family devotional. It's called God's Word for Families. And the idea there is it's 365 devotional activities that parents can lead in the home with the children. So we're really expanding that paradigm to say this is no longer just teaching curriculum in the in the way we've always understood it, but we're saying what kind of a solution could we create so that churches could equip every everyone, families, homes, everybody, to daily get into the Word of God. So God's Word for families, for parents, we have on the adult level now, instead of a follow-on piece for students in the class or small participants, we have a daily devotional guide. So whatever is being taught on Sunday or Wednesday, then all of the adult participants have a daily devotional guide to go home and then every day dig in a little further and applying that biblical principle for the week to their daily lives. And the same thing for the youth, they have a daily devotional. And so it's it's been a new mindset as we've tried to to make that shift to say, not just teacher resources anymore, but this whole church solution for churches to be able to equip everybody for daily study of God's Word with apostolic tools. So it's been exciting to see churches latch onto that and think about ways they can send folks home uh, with, with tools for further study in God's Word. Yeah. I know that the family devotional is already a big hit. I've seen just this week, I've seen at least two of my friends in different parts of the country have posted about on social media that they were excited to receive a copy of that. And so I'm excited to to check it out um, when we can get our hands on one. I have been passionate in the past few years about the idea of discipling discipling our kids at home and a good right. apostolic resource for that. I see I've seen other um, denominations creating resources. <laughs> for that same purpose, of course, they're sure. not usually things that we could adopt because the doctrine issues would be too great to overcome. So I'm excited to hear about a family devotional. And I'm also excited as someone who has recently, in the past few years, my husband and I taught a young married Sunday school class. And we, you know, we'd have a set of lessons that we were building on from week to week. But even as the teachers of the class, so much life happens between Sundays right? Uh, when you have work and kids and family things going on that even as a teacher, it was, it would be hard sometimes to be like, oh, right, this is what we're talking about. Oh, right. This is what we're thinking right. about. And so I know for our students, it was even more, probably even that on an even greater scale. So the idea of being able to have a devotion to kind of keep that fresh in your mind and to really dig into it throughout the week is really helpful. I'm even thinking of myself as, you know, I have a, we have a one-year-old, almost two-year-old. And so our participation in service and in class activities is often interrupted. (laughs) So, so the idea to have, okay, this is what they talked about while I was out in the foyer (laughs) with a crying toddler. And now I can take it home and I can dig into it a little bit more during the week when things are quiet and I can focus. I really, really am excited to hear uh, about those resources and excited to to check them out for myself. I also know that because I did do a little bit of writing for Word of Flame in the past, I know that there was a large focus in creating the resources on making sure, especially for like the lower grades, that they were developmentally 
appropriate to fit the age range that you were teaching in. I remember as a writer, we, we got like the little circle where you could see for this age, these are the appropriate kinds of activities that are that would fit their developmental abilities. Right. Was that consideration also taken in this new this new curriculum when you're creating, you know, like leveling things? Because I know if I've understood it correctly, you're talking about the same basic concept across all age levels at the same time. Right. I'm assuming that they have been created in such a way that they'll be developmentally appropriate. That's correct. And it, and it is a challenge. And there's a huge uh, shout out I should give right now to all of the writers, the field editors, the in-house team who work so hard. It's it's a big challenge to make sure that material is age appropriate. Because like you said, part of this new approach is this idea of what we call whole church alignment. So the adults and their small groups remain adult class, the youth, and then all those children's levels, everybody's studying the same Bible passage each week. Well, you can imagine that that's going to look differently on the toddler's class, <laughs> the, the little learners, as we're calling it now, than it does with the adults. And so it takes a wonderful team who who do what you've just described and, and think, through, okay, what's the age-appropriate way we could transfer this to our littlest learners? And so that, that does take a lot of work, but it's so important. It gives families the ability to talk in the home. It just means that the, we've got to find ways for teachers to be able to talk about things for whatever group they have in a way that's, as you said, developmentally appropriate. I think that's so great. Is there anything else that we have not mentioned about the new curriculum that you would like to make sure people know about? Well, everybody can take a look at PentecostalPublishing.com right now. It's right there on the page. As soon as you hop in, you'll see that under any of our curriculum tabs or banners. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel at PPH, and we've got a playlist for God's Word for Life where we put videos that kind of walk through lessons and that kind of thing. So people can take a look and check it out. Connected to it, I should also mention, we realized that, you know, to, to teach effectively, we've got software for so much in our churches now with, you know, of course, there's software to put the lyrics on the screen. A lot of churches use management tools for membership and even, you know, how you organize your service agenda and that kind of thing. But when it comes to our classes, our small groups, a lot of times it's just the teachers turn loose and, you know, whoever shows up, shows up, that kind of thing. Uh, so in the middle of all of this launch of God's Word for Life, we also launched a software system called My Growth Toolkit. And it's a web-based program, so you don't have to install software, but you can become a member of My Growth Toolkit. And it is a uh, software solution that allows you to manage your groups and classes. You can course, input the information of all the students or participants. And then you can, of course, easily track birthdays. You can reach out quickly to anyone who was not present. You can do all that good stuff. And you get a planner there if you want to organize who's teaching Sunday and who does what part of the lesson, the, the planning functionalities built into it. But one thing that I'm really excited about that I'll throw in here because I, I think that this really represents something new for our churches, and that's an assessment module. So when we, we think of church, because it's, it's not like school or it's not like education in so many ways, and I understand that, but yet how do we really measure if people are growing? Mm. And I don't just mean in Bible knowledge, I mean 
and our spiritual health. So we've created the curriculum God's Word for Life based on six core roots of apostolic discipleship. So things like our foundational doctrine, things like our devotional health, things like our our commissioned, our response to being commissioned, you know, how actively are we sharing our faith? There are six different major areas there. And so we've built in this assessment that churches can give either, you know, have people attach their name to it if we want to do that level of tracking or give it anonymously. But it's this uh, web-based assessment or survey that churches, I recommend they give it quarterly. And then you can see if, if whether you give it for the whole church or whether you give it in groups, you can see, wow, we really, um, I would have thought on a scale of one to five, we would have been a, at least a four and a half on devotion. Oh man, we're really only a three. Wow. Well, then church leaders, teachers can really encourage that. So I think this represents something really new. We do study other publishers, other church denominations, and what are they doing to teach effectively? And we've seen little things similar to this, but we've never seen anything quite as uh, as strategic as this. That that's really, I think, going to be a crucial tool for for churches as they become aware of it to go. Wow, you know, we really could be tracking in our classes how or in our groups how people are doing and growing in their faith. So I, I did want to throw that in there too, and and that info is available at mygrowthtoolkit.com. That sounds amazing. I'm we just thinking so excited about I'm it, just yeah. thinking like on an individual level. Right, right. Just to do a little check-in with myself to say, how am I actually doing here? Absolutely. I love to journal. I love I'm all about like end of the year reflection <laughs> yeah, stuff and yeah, that sort of thing. Absolutely. But sometimes even that, you know, I can go a little bit easier, a little bit harder on myself, depending on you know the mood I'm in and the stress level of my life at sure. that point in time. And so it's not always a hundred percent accurate, but something that says you know, this kind of like, where are you at with this? What's, what's actually going on here? I think, wow, that sounds like something that could really, really be helpful on the individual level. And then, like you said, on the level of leaders deciding, like, where do we need to be focusing right now? And what do our people really need in order to, in order to be discipled and to grow and, and to move forward as a body? Like that thing, that's really, really fantastic. I did want to run back to you mentioned resources on YouTube. Could you talk a little bit more about what those are? The YouTube resources that we've been focusing on the last few months have been really more for teachers and church leaders to get ready to make this big shift in starting to use God's Word for life. So a lot okay. of it would be training pieces on that. But as you mentioned, uh, in 2020, we created... Oh, goodness, almost six months worth of online Sunday school, we called it, where uh, it was essentially a video-based lesson. And I don't know how many families are aware of that. Those are still out there. And unfortunately, sadly, I've, I've talked to a few churches who um, in the last few weeks have had an uptick of of COVID cases and have had to move back to a virtual format. And so we say, yeah, they're still out there. Grab them again. You know, kids, they are fine with repetition. Oh, so yes, they, they are. May have some, <laughs> yeah, they may have watched some of it last year. Or they will have no problem watching it again. So hats <laughs> off to the great team we have that put those together last year and uh, and they're still there. So that's a great point to encourage families. We've got various playlists set up on that Pentecostal Publishing House YouTube channel. And so dig in, there's all kind of good stuff. And, and those particularly could, could be really helpful for families looking for apostolic video resources. Yes, I love that. Our family, uh, I feel like, is solely responsible for keeping our 
apostolic worship artists, YouTube accounts, <laughs> numbers climbing higher every day <laughs> because we have our, we have our little lists that our girls love and we, we cycle through them daily. And so um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, awesome. what, what else is on YouTube that we could go <laughs> and we can let them get some more good apostolic yeah teaching in through through what seems to be their favorite medium these days so <laughs> whatever we can use for sure well the last thing that i want to talk about is a little bit of a turn from the teaching and curriculum and resources uh, discussion your appointment as the associate editor is a little bit of a historical appointment that you are one of the first if not the first uh, woman to have held an executive level position with the upci and Anyone who listens to this show knows we we seem to talk a lot about women in ministry, and that's just an exciting thing to hear and to know that you get to hold that position. So tell us a little bit about that and how that how that has been for you. Sure. Well, it's I'll just start out and just say it's been a wonderful experience. It's it, so many supportive people have have been encouraging and affirming. So it's the short answer. It's been a really great experience, but. The longer answer uh, is is that it's it's been interesting in almost if I could kind of remove myself from the personal side of it and just try to think historically, it's very fascinating to kind of see where we are in the scope of our history. And I, I should mention there there is an asterisk in that Sister Ruby Clement in 1947, two years after the merger, had already served as the Northwest District Youth President and was elected to be the National Youth Secretary. And so I don't really know enough to know exactly how that position functioned then. I don't know if it was set up to be at the executive level the way Brother Stafford would currently serve as our Youth Secretary now and in our structure as it is now. Uh, but certainly a, a powerful, powerful minister of the gospel, and she served as well. But I think that reflects, and I believe when you did the session with Jessica Simpson, I think this came up. At the time of the merger, our ministerial records indicate that 33% of the ministers, the credentialed ministers, were female. Wow. And that fell over the years to sometime around, I'm going to say it's sometime around 2000. That number fell to about 3%. And mm. as Sister Simpson noted, we really think that was probably a result of 60s, 70s, 80s, the various waves of feminism, be it politically, be it in the university setting, wherever. The, the social changes that were happening in our country, it would seem that maybe the church reacted to that and we wanted to maybe distance ourselves from things that we saw as being troubling. But maybe we did that at the expense of maybe discouraging women from being in that role of ministry while well, certainly mm -hmm. they were still doing incredible things for the kingdom. So all that to say, um, I saw some recent research that looked like we're up now. That number is growing of credentialed female ministers. I want to say I saw something that looked like we were more in the neighborhood of um, 8 to 12 percent. I may that inaccurate, but our headquarters office takes care of all that and they can they can clarify where I'm inaccurate. <laughs> but uh, the point is, yeah, the point is that number is growing in my particular experience has been interesting because again, we're, whatever that looks like with Sister Clemens' service, there is something significant in that we haven't had a female in an executive level position, at least since the early 50s. So, mm. um, so there's something significant to be said there. And I'll say that <laughs> I don't think I've told the story publicly, so we, we may need to censor it later. <laughs> Just kidding. But 
Uh, my very first week, starting at headquarters in 2012, uh, I served the, in Pentecostal Publishing House, and Dr. Robin Johnston is our editor-in-chief, and so I worked directly with him. And he happened to be teaching a class at Urshan Graduate School of Theology in what would have been my first week there, first week of the new year in 2012. And so he said, oh, I'm not going to be there and I can't get you all set up. He said, why don't you just come with me to class? And so I had this incredible first week on the job and then I got to sit in this UGST class he taught. So the second week on the job, we come back to headquarters and he says, okay, this week, what's on our schedule is the Forward Magazine for Ministers is having kind of a think tank meeting. So we've invited in uh, pastors and evangelists from around the movement who were going to say, these are the issues that we think are relevant and let's set up the next several issues of the magazine that would address these kinds of issues. And so he said, uh, number one, I have some other appointments, so I can't be there the whole time. I want you to go and represent me. And, uh, you know, I trust you to, to do whatever to help move the meetings along. Uh, there's someone else that was going to chair it, but just just weigh in from, from any perspective you think is appropriate. And he said, and too, this is just a great opportunity for you to hear from pastors. Uh, I personally didn't grow up in a, a home of a pastor. So, you know, just this is a great time for you to be around these ministers and, and kind of hear what's what they think is going on. So I show up, wonderful group of men who are talking about everything they're, they're, that's going on. So we're about an hour and a half, two hours into the meeting that first morning in the building. And all of a sudden the door just busts open. This larger than life guy walks in, kind of slings his coat and goes, oh my goodness, you can't imagine the airport. And so he goes in this whole story because he was supposed to have been there that morning when everything started, but he had flight delays. And so it's just, you know, kind of chaos. And so he looks over, I'm sitting on the end and goes, hey, hon, could you run and grab me a diet coat? <gasps> and I kind of have this moment of like, wait, what just, what just happened? And so I'm like kind of froze. Like, I don't, I don't even know where the Diet Coke is. This is my first day in the building. I can't help you if I wanted to. And so I just have this like moment where I'm like, I don't really know what to do right now. But this very, very wonderful gentleman had stepped in at the very start of the meeting that morning. He said, Hey, we're so glad y'all are all here in town. He's like, my office is just down the hall. And he didn't, he didn't have anything to do with the meeting, but he said, if y'all need anything at all, I'm right here. I'd be happy to help. So I thought of him. And so I'm, I hop up and I walk out and I'm like, Hey, you know, brother so-and-so just came and he's running late and he wanted to get a drink. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I got it. And so he takes care of it and brings it in a little later. And it's like crisis averted. <laughs> but I had this moment like day one on the job, just say, okay, I have to process what happened here. Now I can immediately go, what a jerk. You know, who does he think he is? Who does he think I am? I could go all there and be like, how misogynistic and all this kind of stuff. Or I could say, you know what, for the last 50 years in this building, and of course, we've been in various headquarter buildings, but for the last 50 years, if a woman is sitting in a conference room, it's so she can take notes and get a drink. Mm. And it had nothing to do with me. It's just, we've had decades of training where this is what women do. Mm. And so, you know, I had to recognize, okay, everything's not personal. And we've got to recognize some of where we are. It's just because we where we've come from, we grow in stages. And so we've got to be realistic 
course, this minister has gone on to be with the Lord now, but it was just this wonderful, wonderful person. And I can look at, here's this incredible person, this incredible minister. I got to put in perspective here a little bit and yeah. realize we just are coming out of, of this whole history of where we've been. And it's just part of growing. So there are going to be moments like that. And we just have to be gracious in those moments to just say, hey, this is growing pains of moving forward. Now, I can tell you the other really great story of Fast forward on, that was 2012, and I, I'm pretty sure it was 2015. At that point, I had received my ministerial credentials and had been appointed by the general board for the position I now hold. And as part of just working in the building beyond PPH, I serve on our communications council. And at the time, Brother Jerry Jones was our general secretary, so he led that group. And he said, it is time for a new website. We had been a very long time without a website. Well, we had a website, but it really was in need of updating. So he asked me to coordinate the kind of group that would be responsible for working with an outside vendor, at contracting out a web design, all of those kind of things. So we did that. We did the whole process of getting a new website launched. And the general board was in town for their spring meeting. We call it midwinter meeting to um, just do all the, the annual business. Uh, they meet twice a year. And this was the spring meeting. And so Brother Jones said, well, we need to show the new website because we're just about ready to launch. And they're going to be really excited because we've needed this for so long. So he asked me to bring the projector and just walk through the website for the general board. And so I did and just showed, you know, all the pages. And when I got done, everybody was so excited to see the change. You know, they clapped and, and that was wonderful. And so then Brother Bernard, who of course chairs the general board meeting, he immediately says, and I believe that Sister Alexander is our first female executive outside of our ladies ministry executives. So you have appointed your first female executive. And the room just broke out in this spontaneous applause. Mm -hmm. It was very humbling. And I knew in that moment that was not about me personally. It was, A, they're still excited from the <laughs> website. But no, B, realistically, what was happening is they, Brother Bernard had recognized this potentially historical moment. And they did too. And they were just I think in that moment, celebrating, hey, we are we are seeing where we've been and we're seeing where we're going. And we're going to have a moment here to celebrate we're moving in the right direction. So you can get on either one of those two stories and say, hey, which one is us? Well, I think we're the second story. I think we're the story that's celebrating as we grow and as we incorporate more people into working for the kingdom of God. So I, I really choose to celebrate that second story and how affirming people are for those who are getting involved in ministry. I really love both of those. And I appreciate you sharing them with us because I think they do give us a good little nugget of wisdom to just think about. And that is that you have the power in that moment to either take offense, make a big deal about it. Yeah. And there are people who would say that you would have a right to do that. I mean, and maybe you would have had, mm -hmm. but at the same time, what wisdom to say no, this is not about me. Right. It's about the history of what's been, and we're moving into a new era, and we're moving right. forward. And I have the power within me right now in this moment to move us forward and not make it. Because, I mean, you could have you could have made a big deal about it, and it could have right. then gone with you as your reputation from there on out. It could have caused a lot of issues. And that's not to say that there aren't times whenever things need to be addressed and things need to be corrected. But... I think right. as women, as we as we move into maybe someone listening, you're moving into an area where there hasn't been 
a lady in that position before, in those rooms before, or in those meetings before, to just stop and to acknowledge that this isn't personal. A lot of the things that happen that are said, the way things are handled, they probably aren't personal. And if exactly. I can if I can deal with my own personal stuff internally and with the Lord, then we can actually as a as a body move forward. And so I appreciate you sharing those stories. Absolutely right. I think that's gonna be an encouragement for someone. And I'm really glad we got to include them here. So thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Well, our last question of the show is always the same. We are called Good Questions, so we like to ask every guest, what is a good question that you are asking lately? It's a good question to ask that good question. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay, so here's where I'm at. I'm watching the, the social media chaos of our world and this extreme polarization that's happening politically. And I'm saying... Are we doing more harm than good by Mm. being so active politically? And it's this weird Mm. thing, right? Because we know it's it's scriptural to pray for our leaders, to vote, to, you know, get involved in the process. But yet it seems like right now anything political is so divisive. So this might be uh, something that I would love to ask of some of our apostolics who are very involved in their civil government. It's how do you walk through that balance? And then specifically, even with social media, it seems like so many people are are as passionate about political issues as they are about Christian issues. And I know for a lot of them, they see those two as being so tightly interwoven, but are they really? I mean, mm. yeah, there are obviously the way I vote is going to be reflective of my my Christian walk. But so many of the things that I think we're attaching Christian, we're making moral issues and we're making a matter of faith. I don't know. I'm wondering if we're overdoing it because number one, it's it's just, does it create so much um, fighting on social media that that can't be a healthy witness? But then if you, I mean, where we, where my local church is, we're in an urban area mm-hmm. and I'm watching as we have so many visitors come by and all this kind of thing. And I'm thinking, if they saw the Facebook posts of some mm. of the people in our church, would they be like, oh, wait, I, I don't know if I should be at this church. I don't know if they want me because I know what their politics are. And I hope I'm overthinking it, but I just, I see right now all this extreme polarization with the political parties. And I see Christians who are so enraged about where things are. And I maybe I'm the one who should care more about what's going on in our world, but it's like, I know... I already get that we're no longer, you know, this Judeo-Christian based nation. I get that that's already shifted. And I don't want to be a defeatist and but I'm not I'm not fighting for that anymore. I'm mm. already recognizing we are witnessing in a world where the majority are not showing up at some kind of Christian church on Sunday. And so I get that. And so we're I'm I'm thinking I'm a missionary to my neighborhood, to my world and I'm not going to waste a lot of energy fighting over what we sh- what our nation should be doing politically. I'm just going to say, okay, but this is where we are. And so how do we be witnesses? How do we how do we do the mission in this culture? Question there is, is that the right approach? Should I say no no no, there's I mean we we don't just we don't just give up and walk, go softly into the night. <laughs> So there's part of me that gets that too. I I just, it is a question that I I don't know what the answer is. I'm so thankful for for some of those um, ministers, particularly in our apostolic ranks, who have 
done the hard work in the face of oversight of the government to say, no, 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 as a church, we get to do this. So I don't want to say I'm, I'm critical of that at all. I recognize there are very real lines we have to defend. Um, I guess I'm, I'm more so worried about just the tone with which some of us are presenting on our social media, how we're going about presenting what matters to us. I, maybe if I saw us be that level of fervor about some of our Christian commitments as we are with our political commitments, maybe I would feel a little better about it. But it just, it is, it really leaves me a lot with a lot of questions when I think about how we talk about what's going on in our world, particularly in the in the now public format that we have of social media. I can tell you, I'm, you can't see me. I'm nodding my head this whole time we've been talking. <laughs> this is a conver- these are conversations my husband and I are having in our house all the time. And I'm right there with you. I am also yeah. grappling with the same questions and filled with the same concern for our Christian witness yeah. in a public format, especially like social media, where we say things and we don't think about the fact that we don't think about how many people actually read them. I'm convinced that you could take anyone off of our pews and you could pull up something that they posted in the last week on social media and you could say to them, if you were at your district camp meeting, would you get up behind the pulpit and and read this out loud? Because if you think about the amount, the the reach that you have, the reach that each individual one of us has through friends and friends of friends and then things that can be screenshotted and shared. And, and once you put it out there, you know, you don't know where it's going or who's going to see it and your name's attached to it. That's just a a filter that we, my husband and I have talked about a lot is it, would you get up in your church on Sunday and read this? Would you get up at your Mm -hmm. district conference and read this? So good. Because if not, then maybe we need to think about what we're saying and and uh, and rethink the way we're we're approaching these things. Because I agree with you. I feel like our communities, they're watching us. They they see it. They know. Right. And um, we got to think about what's the most important thing, which is furthering the gospel and the kingdom. And so I'm right there Absolutely. with you. I'm right there with you. And it's something that honestly, I would love if you know of someone <laughs> who would like yeah. to talk about these things on the podcast. This is something I would love to delve into deeper. But yeah, it's, it's a very good question. And one I'm also asking myself. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, I thank you so much for being with me today. I know that uh, we're going to really give some encouragement to teachers, to parents, to to women in ministry <laughs> and yeah. to Christians in the pew as we think about our, our political involvements. These are all great things to think about today. I appreciate it so much. We can find your book, I'm assuming, at PPH. That's right, PentecostalPublishing.com. All right, and also the uh, God's Word for Life materials are there as well. We will link all of those in show notes for people to find. Sister Leanne, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been my honor. I have enjoyed this so much. Thanks for the good work you're doing with this podcast. Friends, I sincerely hope this episode has opened your eyes to the power of teaching or reinforced what you already knew. I pray that it has empowered and encouraged a veteran teacher, maybe teetering on the edge of burnout. I hope it inspired someone who has been considering volunteering to teach Sunday school or lead a small group or Bible study. If this episode spoke to you, I'd love for you to share it. Maybe text it to someone who would make a great teacher or share it on social media and tag a teacher who has made a difference in your life. Be sure to check out the resources we discussed, Sister Leanne's book and the God's Word for Life materials. I'm especially interested in getting a hold of one of the family devotion manuals myself. 
Thank you so much to Sister Leanne for sharing all of her wisdom with us today. We've included links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Come find us on social media. On Instagram, we're at Good Question Show, and I'm at Jessica Tandera. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Good Question with Jessica Tandera Podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who keeps my wheels turning with good questions to ask myself is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Joshua Walzik. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.